Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Greetings to everyone in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. We are back with you today looking at 1 Corinthians. Prior to this, we studied the background of this letter. So I encourage you to go back and to look. It was about 45 minutes long. We could have gone two hours. I didn't plan for it to be that long, but praise God, hopefully that information will help you as we go into the letter. We looked at Acts chapter 18. We looked at the founding of this community of faith. We looked at the city of Corinth. We looked at some of the cultural and religious background of the city and how people were coming from Gentile backgrounds from that world and coming into a completely new world, the world of the Messiah. And so today I have my son back with me and we're going to look into this letter And we're going to go chapter by chapter. I mentioned in the introduction, we're not going to go verse by verse, but we're going to go chapter by chapter. So open with me to 1 Corinthians or listen to me as I read. I'm going to read a little bit from the introduction. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sothenes our brother to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints or holy ones by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And let's look at this introduction and let's look at a few things that I want to point out that is very consistent in Paul's introductions. One is that it is God that has called him, something that you see all the time, that when you look at Paul's letters, he's not doing this because it's something he chose to do within his own life, but this is the calling of God upon his life to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring the good news, to lay the foundation of the gospel, And here we see to the Corinthians, to the Gentiles within that city. Yes, Jews did come to faith, but it was the Gentiles in mass numbers that did come to faith. Also, he says, he calls the believers in Corinth, holy ones, saints. This is something that is so clear within the whole Bible. Even if you go back to the Old Covenant, New Covenant, People that are in a covenant relationship with God are called holy. The Jewish people in the Old Covenant are called saints, holy ones. I can remember one time being at a bar mitzvah, and the rabbi just kind of laughed. This concept of saints is for Christians, not for us Jews, holy ones. And he doesn't even know in his own scriptures the Jews are called saints, holy ones, because they're in a covenant relationship with God. In this new covenant, these Gentiles are holy ones. They are holy unto God. Also, there's a a saying that's very popular. We are just all sinners saved by the grace of God. And I like to say, well, let's look at it. We were sinners saved by the grace of God. Now we are saints, holy ones. 
And when we say holy ones, saints, it's not a church declaring us that we have to prove that we had two miracles or the Roman Catholicism looks at our life and says we're a saint. As a believer in Yeshua the Messiah, I am holy unto God. I am a saint. And this is clear throughout the scriptures. So he says to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, holy ones by calling. If you look a little bit before we get to the holy ones, those who have been sanctified. Now, I don't like to define words by themselves, but normally what it means to be sanctified, set apart for God's purposes. You belong to God. So we have been set apart for the things of God in Christ Jesus. That happens when you come to him. And something that we're going to see in this book, that sanctification is instant. I am a new creation in the Messiah, but it's also progressive. And when we get into these early chapters, you'll see that they're still babes, infants. They should have grown up and matured in the Word, but they're, they're not doing that. They're still drinking milk. They should be eating meat. So sanctification is progressive as well, that we need to grow in the things of God. We need to mature in the things of God. We were a babe. We need to learn to sit up. We need to crawl, need to learn how to crawl, need to learn how to walk. We need to learn how to run with the things of God, a marathon race. As we look at this introduction, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, holy ones by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So Paul, an apostle, writing to the saints at Corinth. They're not saints because they've done many things. They're saints because of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has redeemed them and forgiven them of their sins. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in verses 4 through 9, as you look at it and you read it, Paul is reflecting upon the faithfulness of God as they're on this journey, God will keep them where they need to be and not lacking in any gift as they're waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you, verse 8, to the end, blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. In these verses, he's talking about the faithfulness of God to keep the Corinthian believers right where they need to be. This is evident in Paul's writings. He's looking back at all the situations, the factions, the bad teaching, the immorality that has come into the body, but he understands, look in verse 9, God is faithful. He who has begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a statement from Paul where he understands the faithfulness of God. And so we see that in these verses. Now going to verse 10, we're going to hit upon the first problem that is developing. In fact, I believe chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 is dealing with a proper understanding of of the foundation that they were given, a foundation of Christ through the Spirit. And it's not about individuals. It's about Christ, the foundation, and men building upon that foundation with good motives 
and that our works will be judged by God. And in the chapter 4, we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so factions have developed, and we start seeing this in verse 10. And so let's look at this a little bit. Could you read verse 10, Cole? Absolutely. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. To me, the most important thing about this verse, and tell me what you think, Cole, it's not ecumenical in the sense that, okay, all of you just come together and agree, make sure you don't have any divisions and you put aside your differences and you just all have unity at all costs. This is not what Paul is saying. Now, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you say by the name, you're saying by the authority and the power of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you all agree. He's not just saying that we go out and believe whatever we want, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come into unity. It's under his authority, his power, in his name, what represents him. Let's get back to unity in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Any thoughts about that, Cole? Right. Well, I think that statement is so powerful in the context as we read the next couple of verses, we see that there's going to be divisions over which apostle the church in Corinth follow. And so I think Paul's wanting to establish on the front end the most important thing is that Jesus Christ, he is the authority. He is the cornerstone. He is what unites the church. And so then the issue of which apostles teaching people in the church follow, that becomes such a lesser issue in light of the reality that Christ is the cornerstone of the church. Yes, and when you deal with the three individuals that are mentioned that are coming up, Paul, Apollos, and Cephas, they're all brothers in the Lord. They're all of the faith. Now, later there's going to be um, false teachers in the congregation. They're going to stand up against Paul. But there have been factions that develop, some saying, I am of Paul, some of Apollo, some of Cephas. And there's even another group that sounds right, I am of Christ. But we don't know what that means. We, we can only make assumptions. Maybe they were saying, we're of Christ and none of you are of Christ because you follow Paul, Apollos, and Cephas. But I agree exactly with what you're saying. He's saying, let's get rid of all of this. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. And come in unity in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul represented Christ. Peter represented Christ. Apollos represented Christ. But that doesn't prevent people from aligning themselves and saying, I'm of this person or that person in developing a faction. To give a contemporary understanding of it today, you will see believers who have a foundation in Christ, they were established in Christ, but they say, but I listen to this person. And so they align themselves with this person and not with this person, that person, and they love this individual and they place themselves under their ministry. And almost a faction starts developing where they're separate from the other believers. And this could be what is happening. But the most important thing here that Paul is saying, I want you all to be in unity, in agreement, not that you just believe whatever you want, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And when you come in his name, you're coming in his authority and his power. And it's not about Paul. It's not about Paulus, Apollos. It's not about Cephas. It's not about some Christ group. It's we all come under the authority of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not a free-for-all. That's one thing I want to emphasize here. It is in his authority, in his power, in his name. To jump on what you were saying, if you go to verse 13, where these factions have taken place, has Christ been divided? You know, Paul is of Christ, Cephas is of Christ, Apollos is of Christ, but Christ is not divided. But by making factions, they're dividing. He's asking the, que- the question, has Christ been divided? That shouldn't be that way. Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Very important question. I love that the author, the writer, is using his own name. It is not I who was crucified for you. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Absolutely not. We're baptized in Jesus' baptism. Jesus said, when you go out, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And so it is Jesus' baptism. It's not Paul's baptism. It's not John's baptism that we're going to see later on. Some only knew about John's baptism. So they were not baptized in the name of Paul. And this is very interesting. I thank God I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say, you were baptized in my name. Now I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Now I say this is very interesting, because in many parts of the world, if a minister baptizes a non-believer and they come to faith and they baptize them, they say, that believer belongs to me, stay away from them. You cannot have them in your church or your ministry, your community of faith. First of all, we're all one community of faith. And that individual does not belong to Paul. See, Paul is saying, I was not crucified for you. You were not baptized in my name. We come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this. He started this community of faith. He brought the gospel to them. He was there in a year and a half. And Cole, how many people did he baptize, if we look at it? He mentions two individuals and then one household. Right. So the water baptism, yes, is important. It's showing what God is doing within their lives. But just because you give water baptism to them doesn't mean that they belong to me. They belong to Jesus Christ. He is the head. He is the foundation. He is everything. In light of what we studied in the background of the city of Corinth and maybe the tendency in the city to, or just the Greek world in general, to, for people to align themselves with one philosopher and really give their allegiance to that philosopher and their teaching, I think Paul is showing so much wisdom on the forefront of doing everything he can by intentionally not baptizing people to not create an environment where people's faith is limited to his leadership, where he's not hoarding the power, hoarding the authority, making everything about him. It seems like he's deflecting on the front end, being wise about not creating an unhealthy environment in which people just 
rely on his faith, rely on his teaching, rely on his relationship with the Lord, but they develop their own. Yes, I, I think so. I don't think that Paul and Peter and Apollos were doing this intentionally. Some people have assumed that they're creating this. But in the culture in which the Corinthians are getting saved, out of that culture, which was a Hellenistic culture that aligned with certain philosophers and teachers, it was a natural thing that would take place. And Paul, from the beginning, is deflecting that from the very foundation. But sometimes you fight against that. It doesn't mean that it doesn't creep back in. Paul never made it about himself. But what you are going to see is that as an apostle, as a person that laid the foundation, he does have the right to speak. And you're really going to see this in his second letter. He had a right. He established it. He brought them up in the faith, and he has the right to speak back into these issues. And then there's going to be false teachers that come against him and question even his apostleship, his integrity, his ministry, his own life. They're really going to come against him. So he does have a right to speak, but Paul never made it about himself. Even when he says, imitate me, follow me, he concludes it with what? As I follow Christ. Don't just follow me, but follow me as I follow Christ. And I think he would say the same thing about Peter, about Apollos, any person that represented the gospel. Follow Peter as he follows Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. It's not about me. I was not crucified for you. I was not, you did not come and get baptized into Paul. We come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, come in unity in his power and his authority. We see that in the first 17 verses here. Now, again, we're going from chapter to chapter. In verses 18 through 31, he's dealing with the Jewish and the Gentile cultures here. What is important and how the gospel came to them that's going to lead into chapter 2 about he's going to say you came to God through the power of God through a work of the Holy Spirit. But let's read some of verses 18 through 31 Do you mind reading Cole verses 18 through 25? Absolutely. In verse 18, and I'm reading in the New American Standard Bible, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And if you could read verses 22 through 25. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block and to Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And these last verses that you read is getting to the really essence of what Paul is talking about. Because in Corinth, you had Jews that came to faith, probably a small minority, and then lots of Gentiles. Dealing with the culture 
of both the Jewish culture and the Hellenistic culture. Verse 22, for indeed Jews ask for attesting miracles, or it can be translated signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. Now, the city of Corinth was all about philosophers coming and bringing their wisdom, and they want to hear the wisdom of men. The Jews were looking at the Messiah. We want a sign. Remember in Jesus' ministry, always, can you show us a sign? They're following the miracles. Is this the Messiah? We want to see another miracle. Can he open the eyes of a man born blind? That was one of the signs within the Dead Sea Scrolls that when the Messiah comes, we will know because he will open the eyes of a man born blind. So when you go to John chapter 9, we see the story of a man that was born blind that has his eyes healed. But the Jews are always asking for a sign, and what they're asking for is a miracle. And over and over and over, he did the miracles of God. And then they keep asking for what? A sign. It wasn't enough. Even though Jesus says to them, in every way I have fulfilled Scripture, yet for many of them they still want more evidence. So in the Jewish background, they ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach, Paul and his team, Christ crucified. This means that Jesus came and the Messiah came to lay down his life on a cross for the sins of the world, Isaiah 53. To Jews, a stumbling block. The stone which the builders rejected, Psalm 18, has become the chief cornerstone. This understanding of stumbling over the cornerstone or stumbling over the kingdom that was right before them. He says, but... We preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block. The message of the cross is a stumbling block for the Jewish people. And to Gentiles, foolishness. How can there be wisdom and a man hanging on the cross? To the Jew, how can this be a sign from God that he's the Messiah? Well, if they would have known Scripture, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, they would understand that here is the suffering servant laying down his life as a lamb led to the slaughter for their sins. But they did not understand that. And so for them, that's not a sign that God is with this individual. For the Greek person, Hellenistic background, what do you mean? A man on a cross being crucified? How is that wisdom? How is that going to help me? But in verse 24, but to those who are the called, called by God, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. In the cross is the power of God. In the cross is the wisdom of God. And it's both for the Jew and for the Gentile. In verse 25, Paul says it in the way it should be said, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We don't rely upon the wisdom of men or men wanting to see signs. We understand who Jesus is. He is the power of God. He is the wisdom of God. And that's greater than any other understanding that man can bring to us. What a powerful critique of Paul 
of the perhaps the pride of the city of Corinth, trusting in their philosophers and the height of the wisdom they have supposedly obtained. I think it's so powerful that Paul chooses to use the wisdom of the cross to really critique that humanistic pride in in human wisdom and human thought and human enlightenment. Yes, and when we get into chapter 2, he said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. As a minister of the gospel, as the church, we have one message, and that is Jesus crucified, resurrected, new covenant, forgiveness of sins in his name. And so this is our message to the Jew and to the Gentile. Right. It's not two separate messages. We're going to get to that in chapter 2. Let's go into chapter 2. I'm going to read the first five verses, and this should give you some understanding of Acts chapter 18 as well. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Paul was not trained in speech. He never went probably to speech class. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel, which is studying the law and the prophets and probably the oral law through the house of Hillel. But he probably wasn't trained in speech, could have. Even if he was trained, he didn't come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. Verse 2, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He came with the message of Christ. It wasn't about having great oratory skills. It wasn't about convincing people through a sermon you've practiced over and over and over to bring them to the truth of God. He had a tunnel focus in his life to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, the forgiveness of sins that comes in Jesus' name. Verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Going back to Acts chapter 18, You remember God came to him and said, do not be afraid any longer. So there was fear in his life. So later on when he writes to Timothy and he says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. He had experienced fear as a minister of the gospel. And he understood that that was not of God because fear will paralyze you. Fear will cause you to make wrong judgments, wrong decisions. And he says to Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear. But when he was in Corinth, he was in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. He would not be a great preacher when he was at Corinth. That we know. People were not coming to listen to him because he was putting a sermon outline together, A, B, C, D, E, and he was better than all the other speakers. He was in fear and weakness and in trembling, not with persuasive words. He determined to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 4 again, And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He understood if these Corinthians were going to come to faith, it was going to be by the power of God, by the conviction of God's Spirit, working in their hearts to bring the truth of who Jesus is into their lives, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, Now, keep this in the flow of thought. It's not about Apollos. It's not about 
Cephas. It's not about me. It's not about a philosopher. When he came, he didn't even have good philosophy. That was not even his intention to bring a great sermon to them, only to know Jesus Christ and him crucified and the power of God and the Spirit of God working in their lives so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. It is so simple and so basic. Paul at Corinth, he's saying, hey, I was at a weak point. I was trembling. I didn't come with persuasive words. I can't stand up to the philosophers of this city. I don't even come from that background. That's not who I am. I just preach Jesus Christ and him crucified and you believe by the power of God, the spirit of God. And now your faith doesn't rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And I believe what God was doing through Paul in Corinth, that we need to keep that in our mind in everything that we do as a body of believers. It is a work of God's Spirit upon people's lives that's, that, that is so important. It's not about a performance. It's not about a great sermon. It's not about a sermon outline. It's not about all the things that go around it. It's about the truth of the gospel. And if we speak truth, and we love God and love people and bring the gospel to them, it's a work of God's Holy Spirit. So I'm not trying to get people into the community by external things. That's not my emphasis. I don't want the platform and the smoke and the lights and all the performance. That's not what it's all about. It's about the message of the cross, about Jesus dying for our sins and being raised from the grave with newness of life. And that message is what it's all about. The external things are distractions from the truth. God doesn't need our help. It's the power of God. It's the Spirit of God working on an individual's life, bringing them to the truth, changing them from the inside out, circumcising their heart. God doesn't need our help. All these other things get very confusing to the gospel. Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He understood it was the Spirit of God, the power of God, that was going to change the individual, not the persuasive words that he could convince them to be a believer. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to remember that within our own lives. Now, I encourage you to go and read the second chapter and how it flows from the first chapter And I like what Paul is doing to himself. He is saying, I was not crucified for you. You were not baptized into Paul. I didn't even come to you with cleverness of speech, of the wisdom of man. But I came with a simple message, and the Spirit of God made that truth to you. So everything that he's doing in these first two chapters is not putting an emphasis on him. It's actually tearing down himself in front of the Corinthians so that the message of Christ would come to the forefront. It's very similar, I believe, to what John the Baptist said, may I decrease that he may increase. He wants the Corinthians to see things in the right light. I want you to think about his statement in chapter 1. I want you to all come into agreement in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So everything in Paul's ministry 
in these first two chapters as he's writing back to the Corinthian believers is about the foundation of Christ. Everything is about Christ. And it's not about Apollos. It's not about Paul. It is not about Cephas. It's not about this other group that calls himself the Christ group, whatever that meant. It is all about coming into unity in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about the gospel is about him. And let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Take these words. Lord, I pray for the truth of the gospel to go forth by the power of your spirit that makes truth come alive within our hearts. And I pray for the conviction of your spirit. And if someone is listening that does not know you, God, let the truth of the gospel, the good news, that Jesus saves, come into their hearts and make it real within their lives, I pray in his name. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at integrity global missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.